Thank you, ladies. That didn't work at all. <laughs> Better. All right. Fathers, all rise. Let's our, let our fathers stand. Let our fathers stand. All of our fathers in the house, let's stand. Stand up. Whole back row going on over here. Nice. Well done. <laughs> you may be seated, but I say that with sincerity when I say well, well done, because anybody can be... Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't want to be. The, I don't want to be crass about this. But <laughs> anybody can father a child. Anybody can have a child. But I, I look around, and when I saw the men who stood in here, and and I see some fathers, and I see some fathers who are standing up, and some fathers who look like the heavenly Father. And so, thank you, fathers, where you have stepped up, where you have been the example of Jesus Christ for your children. And where you have fallen short, continue to conscribe to be that example for your children. Whether your children are 50 years and older, or whether your children are like mine and wee bit and tiny. Whatever it is, you seek out the Lord as a father uh, to, to emulate your heavenly father. Let's pray, let's pray to our father. God, we love you, and we thank you again for, for this day. We thank you that... Uh, that we do get to honor uh, the men in our lives, Father, who have uh, made such a profound impact on us. Uh, Lord, I, I, I've, I've, been, I've been blessed, God, uh, and, and I know everybody's got their own unique situation, but Lord, you've blessed me immensely with a father-in-law after my father died, God, who has, who has really stepped in that gap. And so, uh, Lord, I, I just, I thank you for what you've done. I thank you for what you continue to do. And Lord, I pray that you, you through your spirit, would continue to influence these men to, to set an example for their sons and their daughters and for, for other people, God, uh, in, in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we do want to, uh, to focus on your word today, God. And I pray, uh, Lord, on that note, as, as men of God, we would be the spiritual leaders within our home. Again, not mattering age, but, but just mattering what, what you have told us to do and, and the responsibility that you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray right now in, in your name that you would equip us to, to be the spiritual leaders within our homes, uh, Father. And, and Lord, in this time, God, would we take the word uh, that you have placed uh, uh, in, our, in our midst today, God, that you have chosen beforehand, before time, that it would be preached on this day, God, and that you would impact souls, uh, you would impact lives, God, through it. Uh, I pray that you would use me, speak through me as I stand upon the authority of your word, but behind the cross, so that you may receive all of the glory. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, as you can see on the screen, we are continuing in our series, Coming Up to Breathe, and today's message is a fresh start, so you can go ahead and turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're gonna, going to be this morning. Uh, I'd like to start with just one very definitive statement, and that is, I am not a good baseball player. <laughs> I am a terrible uh, baseball player. I have no skill when it comes to, to baseball. Uh, the, the reality is we were in men's meeting this morning. We were talking about maybe it'd be, you know, we we're shooting around this idea of, of a sports clinic, that a way that we may be able to reach out to, to children in our, 
community. And, and I was thinking, that sounds like a great idea, unless I'm the coach, because it's, it's just going to go downhill from there. I'm not good at baseball, but I really, really enjoy baseball. I enjoy watching it. Uh, I, I, I enjoy playing it, even though I'm no good at it. I, I enjoy playing it uh, as well. And I remember, but there was a time when I was younger and idealistic uh, that I thought I could maybe be good at baseball. And so, so I tried. I, I played a lot of Little League ball, and then uh, I got to high school, and I tried out. Now, I've, I've mentioned in here a couple times before that I didn't make uh, the high, high school team, and that's primarily because I'm no good at baseball. Uh, but, but let me share with you what was kind of the, the nail in the coffin moment for me. Okay, uh, at that at the point that I realized that I probably wasn't going to make the team, uh, we had been practicing for about a week uh, during tryouts, and and basically the first week was nothing but conditioning. We were just running, 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 and and then doing some throwing. That's that's all we had done up to that point. Well, uh, this this next day came and it was raining. Uh, it was it was raining like cats and dogs, and so so they decided, all right, we're going to switch things up today, and we're going to take you inside. And there was this little barn out there by by the baseball fields, and they said, all right, we're going to we're going to start uh, some hitting practice, and we're going to see how you do swinging the bat. And so we got in there, and and the coach, uh, you know, I I'd, I'd, I'd never done this before. I didn't know what he was going to do. How are we going to hit inside this little barn? Uh, and so what he did is he pulled out a tee. So we're back on t-ball level, right? And so he pulls out a tee because he wants to analyze our swings or something like that. And so he's, he pulls out this tee and he puts a baseball on it. And I was nervous. I was nervous because I was thinking, you know, I'm, I, I kind of knew I wasn't real good. And so I was hoping that, that I could impress him, right? And I happened to be the first person in line to, to go up. And I was nervous, and I went up there, and I grabbed my bat, and he said, all right, just let her rip. And so I thought to myself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush this thing. I'm going to crank this thing. Of course, it was going into the net three feet in front of it. I, I don't know what I thought I was really going to do, but I just had in my mind, I was going to annihilate this thing. So I get up there, and I take a swing, and I did not move my feet, and I did not move my hips. The only thing that moved on my whole body was my arms. And so, if you can't picture that in your mind, I'm going to do it for you real quick. I was right here, and this was my swing. I went just like that in front of the coach. Now, that's bad enough. I knew I had messed up. That's, that's terrible. But uh, worse than that is I, I, I barely tipped the ball. And so it kind of trickled and ha- held on the ledge of the tee for like a second and then rolled off. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And then, of course, on top of that, I wasn't alone. And so 10 guys, I turn around, are on the floor laughing. But when I really, really knew that I had gotten bit in the butt was when I turned around and the coach was biting his lip, trying not to laugh. I, I knew at that point that this was not good. So I looked at him and I, and I, said, I told him, I said, can we pretend... Like that never happened? <laughs> can, we, can we pretend like that never happened and just start over? And he said, sure, that's no problem. But I knew the reality. That thing was ingrained. <laughs> that was not going anywhere whatsoever. And I just want to ask the question, and I think I know the answer before I ask it, but don't you wish sometimes we could just have a fresh start? Don't you wish sometimes you could just have a fresh start? Uh, I was talking to someone this week whose daughter was applying for a job, and, uh, and she had gone through all the steps, she had done all the work uh, that was re- required to, to get this job, gone through all the interview process, and filled out all the paperwork, and, and really had a, had a solid relationship uh, with the boss, and the boss basically told her beforehand, you know, you got it, don't worry about it, 
we've got it. All we have to do is run your criminal record. And when they ran her criminal record, he got back in touch with her and he said, I'm sorry, we just can't take the risk on you. Sometimes, don't we just wish that our record could be renewed? See, see, for Jonah, when we get back to our text, for Jonah, what, what happened? Jonah messed up big time, right? Jonah messed up big time. Jonah is called on directly by God. Here's the voice of God in his ear. He's a prophet of God. And Jonah is called on by God. And he runs. He runs from God. This is a big no-no in, in the whole you know, spiritual realm here. This is, this is not what you're supposed to do is run from God. So Jonah messes up big time. And what we've seen through the last couple of weeks is that through God's discipline and mercy that he repented and recommitted his life to, ser- excuse me, to serving the Lord. And so we get to this really interesting section in Jonah at the beginning of chapter 3. And we ask this question. See, see, up to this point, Jonah's been in response to God. See, God told him to do something, and he disobeyed. So God disciplined, and he repented. Now we're at this point where the story switches a little bit. And now we have a repentant Jonah, and the question becomes, what will God do with him? What will God do with a repentant Jonah, a recommitted Jonah? What is God going to do with him? Now, we've all heard the saying, fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. What does that mean? It means I'm not going to fall for it twice. If you've burned me before, I'm not going to be burned by you again. I've learned my lesson, and this is what we have with God. He called him out. He told him to prophesy. He told him to go, and he was burned. He left. He he retreated. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. So what is God going to do now that Jonah comes back and he says, give me another chance? We get to this point of a second chance. And let's see how God responds. Let's read chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Here's what I want you to see. If you go back to verse 1 says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God said, I'm going to give you that second chance. <coughs> I'm going to give you that second chance. Now, if you look at this passage, it's kind of interesting because chapter 3 begins just like chapter 1. Reread Jonah 1, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh. Chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh. And, and this story starts over. This story, right here in the middle of the book of Jonah, it starts over and it begins how each of the stories, if we are found in Jesus Christ, it begins how each of our stories ought to begin. We were dead in our sin. We were lost without hope, but then God came. We... We were unaware of the depth of our own depravity. We, were, we had no idea how lost and how far away from God we were. But then God came. We were standing on the very threshold of hell. And then God came. And then something interesting happens uh, in this passage. To me, anyways. Uh, we, we already said it a second ago, but, but to me it's very interesting because as we studied, uh, as we were going through Easter and we were looking at the miracles of, of Jesus, 
We noticed how Jesus would teach the same lessons, but he wouldn't do it in the same way. But here we find in Jonah that God does it the exact same way. He approaches Jonah the exact same way that he did before. And to me, this is real interesting because this is not the typical resume that you see of God throughout Scripture. And what's interesting also about this is that God knew Jonah's resume. God knew about Jonah's past. He knew Jonah despised the Assyrian people. We've talked about that a lot already. But Jonah despised the Assyrian people. He knew that Jonah ran away from him. He knew that Jonah tried to flee to Tarshish, to a a land that was better, that seemed easier, that seemed more convenient and more comfortable. He knew that he tried to get away from his, his mission. He knew he tried to run away from the very presence of God. And he knew that his heart, even in this moment, he knew that his heart was not willingly going in in the sense that if if he went he still didn't want to see the Ninevite city come to the Lord he knew all of this about Jonah now let me ask you this would you have asked Jonah to go would you have asked Jonah to go let's put it in a more modern context that's a hard that's a hard question to answer. If I were God, would I you know, that's a that's a hard question to answer. Let's put it in a modern context. Let's say that you own a business. You own a business and your business has been running along, you've been doing your thing, you're making money, you're doing fine. And all of a sudden, you feel like you ought to be doing something else. You, you have in your mind that uh, there's a specific task in my business that, that we have potential to do, but we have not been doing it. So you, you get a team together, you figure out what you want to do, and you line it up and you say, okay, this is the kind of person we need for this job, right? And so you go and you have a, a search for this person. You go through websites and big companies and and they they narrow all these resumes down for you. And it it comes down to this point where you finally think that you have found the guy. And so he comes in and he comes in for his interview, his first interview, and you fall in love with him. You're like, yeah, this is going to be the guy. But you know you have to go through the process. And so you do another interview and another interview. And finally you get down to it and say, listen, this is it. You're the man. Here are our expectations. This is what we want you to do. Are you for the job? And he says, I'm in. You close the door. He starts to work. And he's, he's at it for a couple of weeks. And then a couple of weeks go by and he realizes, I'm not in. I don't like it. Uh, I don't agree with it. I don't want to have any part of it. And without warning, without consulting you as the boss, without talking to you at all, he heads out. He quits. He tells a couple of his coworkers, I'm gone, don't expect me to come back, and he quits. You're disappointed. You thought this was the guy, but things happen. Four or five days later, you get a knock at your office door. <laughs> Old boy can come back, and he says, now let me ask you a question, or, or, or rather, he says, I have come to a conclusion. He said, I want to tell you I'm sorry. I've messed up. What I did was wrong and I've messed up. Will you hire me back? Now, take off your, I'm in the middle of a church service cap. And put on your, I'm in the middle of my office cap. How are we responding to him? I'll tell you what. In the business world, you'd have to be a fool to rehire this guy. 
In the business world, you would have to be a fool to rehire this guy because it is the prudent thing to do and the wise thing to do to not hire someone who's going to run off and quit the job without telling anybody, who is not going to be bold enough to confront his boss, not going to be bold enough to say, hey, I have an issue with what's going on here. Maybe this wasn't, was the best idea for both of us, but just gets up and leaves. No, you do not hire this person back. You don't do it. That would be a bad, bad move. But that's not what God does. That's not what God does. And and here's here's the beautiful thing about this. And and here's what really drew my heart in uh, as I was studying this this week. Is that God never holds our past over our heads. God never holds our past over over our heads. How could he not? How could he not hold this over Jonah's head? Are you kidding me? How could he not? Our wisdom says forgive him, but then kick him out of the door. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, man. You know, that, that is what our wisdom says, but that's not what God's wisdom says. God's wisdom, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. And I love this middle part. We're we're most familiar with this last part in verse 12. But verse 10, I love it so much. It says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Praise God for that. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, listen, this is what we do. We look at someone's past and we use that as a determinant of what they are going to do in their future. That's why you see in court cases that a lawyer will get up and try to... uh, Try to ruin the credibility of one of the witnesses. Because if you, you can say, if you couldn't trust them at this point, what makes you think that you can trust them now? But guess what? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us about true love. Love holds no record of wrongs. And what happens to us in Jesus Christ, by His blood, He washes us clean. Completely clean. Not partly clean, guys completely clean. I read recently about a man uh, who was rolling in it and, and had bought some pretty expensive cars, but had had some trouble with auto repair and just a lot of work. And so he, he just got fed up with it. And he said, I want a car that's going to last. And so he happened to see a commercial about Rolls Royce. And on the commercial it says, it will never break down. It will never break down. He said, hallelujah, I'm going to get a Rolls Royce. And so this boy, he went and he bought himself a Rolls Royce and he wanted to try it out. And so he went out to the country and he started driving that thing. And lo and behold, that thing broke down. Well, he wasn't pleased about that at all. <laughs> so he called the, uh, the, the Rolls Royce company. He said, listen. I bought this car because you told me in your advertisement that I was not, it was not going to break down. So the company freaked out. Okay, immediately they sent a mechanic via helicopter into the woods to go and, and fix this guy's car. So within short hour, that is, uh, short order that is, uh, a couple of hours, this, this whole deal was taken care of. A few weeks later, 
he had still not received his bill for the mechanic. And he was kind of concerned about it. He knew that whatever it was going to be, it was going to be high because they sent the mechanic on a helicopter. <laughs> and so they, he just knew it was going to be high, and he felt like it was just kind of hanging over his head. And so he, he went ahead, and he, he called Rolls-Royce again, and he said, Listen, you know, I know i got a big bill. If you could just tell me what it is, and I'll go ahead and pay it, and we'll get it out of the way. And the secretary started looking through her notes and her files, and she said, Sir... There's no record of your incident. There's no record of your incident. And I want to tell you, church, that's how it is with God. That's exactly how it is with God. When we repent of our sins, He does not hold them over our head. We do not have to walk around with a scarlet letter on our chest. He casts our sins as far as infinity is from infinity. And He remembers them no more. Listen, when we walk in repentance, we are fully, let me say that again, when we, are, when we walk in repentance, we are fully restored. He does not make us earn it back. He does not make us prove ourselves to Him. He doesn't make us go through a battery of tests. And once you are able to do such and such and such, then you will be restored into my favor. Listen, if I give more, if I pray more, if I serve more, if I love more, if I do everything more that is good and is right and is godly, it will not in the least bit increase God's love for me because God's love is already infinite. It will not increase even a little bit. That kind of thinking is absolutely ridiculous. I love Isaiah 1.18. It's a very familiar passage. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Here's the point. Here is something that is great. There's no trace of the sin anymore. There's no trace of the sin anymore. Your sins were like scarlet. Can somebody tell me who's not colorblind that there is a difference between red and white? Yeah? Yeah, there's a difference between red and white. You can tell the difference. He says, though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Here's the point. If you look at a sheep and it has blood all over its back, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be real obvious that there is something dying and staining the sheep. But when the sheep is pure and the sheep is white, you cannot see it. There is no trace that there ever was a scar. There's no trace that there ever was a problem. It has been taken care of in full by the grace of Jesus Christ covering our sins on the cross. That is where the magic happened. And you can't find it. You can't find the traces of your sinful condemnation. And do you know why? Because they're not on you anymore. They're not on you anymore. I don't have good taste. I'm, I'm really pumping myself up today. <laughs> I don't have good taste when it comes to clothes. And Carly lets me know that. Uh, and so if I go and I buy a shirt, and Carly realizes he just didn't know what he was doing, it's all out of love, but I'm going to throw this away. <laughs> Uh, or, or, you know, better yet, I'm going to give this to somebody. But, but I, she goes and, and she gives this shirt away to somebody. And I go home and I want to wear my new shirt. I, I love my new shirt. It was rainbow colored and it was awesome. Uh, if I go 
and I start searching through my drawers. And then I don't see it there. And then so I start searching through my, my, my hangers. And, and I, I don't see it there. And so I'm like, okay, well, obviously it's not in my closet. So, so I start looking under my bed where I kick my dirty clothes. And <laughs> I, start, I start looking in the den. And I look in Carson's room. And I, and I start looking around. And I say, okay, well, it's not in here. So I, I go to my office and I continue to look and look and look. Will I ever find my shirt? No. Why? Because someone else is wearing it. Someone else is wearing it. And here's, here's the point, guys. We don't bear those things that pretend like they cling to us. Jesus is bearing it. Jesus has bore it. And I want to I be careful there. Jesus is not bearing it. I, I, that's a mistake. Jesus bore it. And when you look at Jesus, you won't find traces of that sin either. Because all of that sin, if we just want to continue to picture it like a shirt, all of that sin that was hung on Jesus was burned up in the wrath of God. That thing is gone for good. He suffered so that we may be clean. He died that we may have life. And here's the truth, church. And I don't know where you stand. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know most of your situations. There's just a reality here that all of us have a life that we have exposed to people and then all of us have a life that we have not exposed to people. But wherever you are, whatever your situation is, you can have a second chance. You can have a second chance. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't see how I've raised and treated my children. You don't see how I've ruined those relationships. Pastor, you don't see my marriage. Oh, you see me on Sunday morning and maybe on Wednesday or some special event. And you see me, we sit together and and we dress nice and maybe we'll even hold hands on the closing hymn. But you don't know my marriage. You don't know my struggles. You don't know what I say. You don't know how I act. You don't know what I think. You don't see my addictions to alcohol, to pornography, to food. You don't know my guilt over my past and my hatred for my brother. Pastor, you don't know me. If someone were to say that to me, I would very plainly say to them, you're right. I don't know you. I don't know. But then, if I had a week to prepare like I had for this, (laughs) I would respond by saying, but obviously, you don't know my God. Obviously, you don't know my God who took a pagan man named Abram out of a pagan nation and began a people for himself through him. Obviously, you don't know my God who took a liar and a thief named Jacob and made him the father of this nation. Obviously, you don't know my God who took a murderer named Moses and took all of his people out of slavery after 400 years. Obviously, you don't know my God who took an adulterous and murdering king named David and said, you know what? He is a man after my own heart. Obviously, you don't know my God who took a Christian executioner named Saul and said, you will be my witness to all the other people groups on earth. Obviously, you don't know my God who took me and took my brothers and sisters in Christ 
and said, you all, like, you all like sheep have gone astray. You are all by nature's my enemies. You all are living in the dominion of darkness. But now, oh now, you live in the light of the son of my name. Now you live in the kingdom that I have given through the grace that I have provided. I would say to you, if you came to me with that I don't, I don't get a second chance. I've messed up too bad. I, I, I'm just not good enough. I would say to you, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, guys, but God does. God does. One of my favorite passages when it refers to God's knowing us is Psalm 139, and I'm going to read a chunk of it. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10, then verses 15 and 16. Feel free to follow along because we'll, we'll be in it for a couple minutes here. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Is that a I, I love that verse because that is such a, a two-sided verse. If you were in the will of God and you were loving God, that is a comforting verse. If you were outside of the will of God and you were sinning, that is a scary verse. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. I like that. Before I even say anything, you know what's coming out. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Down to verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes, excuse me, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Here's the picture. God knows your whole story. Not in a superstitious, here comes Santa Claus and he knows your whole story. <laughs> God knows your whole story. He knows the things you're hiding he knows the things that you don't want any other person to know in the entire world. He knows your whole story and he knows it better than you know it. And here's the truth that I want to share with everybody this morning. He has taken worse and has given them a fresh start. And he can and he wants to and he will do it for you. So don't quit now. Don't quit now. Things may be hard. Things may be difficult. But God is the God of second chances. God gave Jonah a fresh start. And then what did he do? He sent him to fulfill his mission. He sent him to fulfill his mission. See, God doesn't give us a clean slate so that no one will ever write on it again. God gives us a clean slate so that he can replace our story with his. That's the reason God gives us a clean state, slate, and it's never too late to start. 
It's never too late to start over. Jonah's task was enormous. That's the reason I included verses 2 and 3 this morning. It says, go to the great city of Nineveh. And I, I want to put emphasis here because this is truth in this time. It was a great city. It was a massive city. And it explains that a little in verse 3. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. Now, here's the, here's the deal. I'm sorry, but here's the deal. Jonah's task was enormous. And we're going to talk more about that next week. We're going to get into some of the details about old Nineveh and all that kind of stuff. But, but here, here's the reality. Jonah's task was enormous. Some people say, they go directly from the text and say there were 120,000 people living in Nineveh. And some people have estimated up to 600,000 people in Nineveh. Here's the point. It took a three days journey to get through Nineveh. And if you take that on their time scale, or their, how they measured things, a, a, a day of travel was 17 miles. So multiply that times three. And you've got a whole big area. And you have a whole lot of people. Okay? His, his task was absolutely enormous. And the reason I bring it up today, instead of just waiting till next week, the reason I bring it up today is because I realize yours may be too. Your task may be absolutely enormous. You may be coming along the side of a mountain. Saying, I don't, there's no way I could scale that. There's no way I can get over that. That's impossible. There's, there's no possible way. Here's the deal, guys. God is gracious. God is gracious. I think, you know, this, this example in particular just kind of drew me in because it's Father's Day. But the reality is I've been to some men's conferences and I've been to some stuff where that it's just men. And there are a lot of hurting people because of their relationship with their father. And if you're a father in here and you need to re- reconnect and ask forgiveness from your children, it's going to seem incredible. It's going to seem like a mountain. It's going to seem like something that is insurmountable. It is too hard to even begin. But God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. That's what we're learning from this. God's grace is sufficient. Some of you may struggle with addictions. All different kinds of addictions. It's too hard to quit. I've tried over and over again, but I can't give it up. God's grace is sufficient. Some may struggle with materialism. All I want is more and more and money and things and bigger and better. That's all I want. That's all I dream about. That's all that I have in for me. And, and it, it has become idolatry and it seems too hard to change. God's grace is sufficient. Some may desire on a more positive note, some may desire, I just want to follow God more closely. And I try to follow more closely, and then I fall back, and I mess up again, and I try to follow more closely, and I mess up, and I fall back again. Oh, I just want to share the gospel. God, would you just let me be bold enough to actually get out of my comfort zone and go share the gospel? So I'm going, and I try, and I chicken out, and I've messed up again. Oh, no, it's too hard. God's grace is sufficient. 
It is absolutely amazing what God can do through a repentant heart. Let me read you a little text out of Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51 verses 10 and 12. And this is the psalm of repentance for David after Bathsheba and all that, all that mess. This is David's psalm of repentance to God. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. To sustain me. Listen, three points real quick from this from this text. What happens when we have a repentant heart towards God? First, he renews our spirit. Thank you, baby. That is good. <laughs> Woo! Uh, hallelujah. Uh, anyways, <laughs> that, it had to be a white towel. We, we went to a, a conference and, and we had a preacher that was, ah! So I'm going to probably do that here in a second. But uh, anyways, uh, Renew your spirit. God, when we have a repentant heart, God renews our spirit. Secondly, God restores our joy. Do you you see that? God refreshes things. God makes things like they're new again. Oh, I've read this text a million times. How in the world does something new come out of it? Because God has renewed our spirit. And then God restores our joy. God says, okay, this isn't tedious. This isn't just following through. This isn't just getting in line and following the leader. No, this is me and you. This is relationship. This is love. This is joy. And then it says, he will sustain your mission. He will sustain your mission through a God-given willingness to fulfill your purpose. He'll he'll do it. This is is the, the, the gift That comes with a repentant heart, guys. This is the gift that comes with a repentant heart. I want to end by sharing this story with you. There's a guy named Steve Lavaggi. Steve Lavaggi was an artistic man. He had his own graphic art business. And and he uh, was married for several years. And he found out that his wife was having an affair. And so... They divorced. Ten days after he found out about his wife's affair, he got bad news from the doctor that his one and only son had juvenile diabetes. And shortly thereafter, he lost his business. And so in very short order, this man named Steve Lavaggi, he he lost everything. He lost everything. He was someone who you would say was in desperate need of a fresh start. And he didn't know where to turn, so he, he happened to have a Bible and he pulled it out. And we're about to go Gideon here. But <laughs> he pulled out this Bible and he looked, at the, he looked at the scriptures and he said, I didn't want to read anything written in black. I just wanted to read what was written in red. I just wanted to hear what Jesus had to say to me. And he started reading the scriptures. He started reading about Jesus and what Jesus said. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon him and he gave his life to Jesus. And it says, as a new Christian, he clung to Psalm 91 verse 11. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Well, in his brokenness, he he came to a, a God stirred in him a passion to create hope for others. He recognized that he was not alone, that there were others who were struggling like he was struggling. And so God it put a passion inside of him to create hope for others as well. And so he's decided that he would use his art in order to minister to other people. Over time, 
he began to, to do Christian sort of art, and he started painting angels. And one of his friends said, what if you make those 3D? Instead of just having a painting of an angel, why don't you make those 3D? And so he got together with a sculptor, and they made uh, some, some angel sculptures. A few years later, his, his name started getting out. He started being known as a man who had a lot of skill and that God was using and God was inspiring people by using his, his art, by using his gift in order to bless other people. And, and his name got big enough that he was invited to speak at a conference in South Africa. And he said he was speaking at this conference in South Africa in front of 3,500 people. And in front of all these people, he brought out one of those angels that started this whole thing that he had painted but turned into a sculpture. And it was sculpture, and it was a black angel, 20 inches tall. And he held it above his head to show the people. And they broke down in worship. They broke down in absolute worship. 3,500 people started just crying and screaming and praising God. Now, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have a clue what was going on. He, you know, praise God, but what in the world is happening? He said, the guy on stage looked at him and said, last week, a man was here and he said, a world-renowned artist is going to come here and he is going to show you a black angel. And so he held up the black angel and he realized that God was in this moment. And so he grabbed the other side of it and he held it up and it was a white angel. And he looked at all of them and he said, listen, we are brothers and we are in this absolutely together. And now these angels, you can look them up online, are called the angels of reconciliation. And now this man is known as the artist of hope. And here's the point. Here's the point. He needed a fresh start. His life was falling apart. Everything was crumbling around him. He needed a fresh start. And God gave it to him. And when he gave it to him, he pointed him on a mission. And that's what God does for us. You may need a fresh start in here tonight, this morning, I'm sorry. You may need a, a fresh start this morning. You may be in a situation in your life, in your relationship, in, in your walk with God, where you just need a fresh start. You need a second chance. You need a fresh wind to blow on you so that your sails can open up and God can propel you. You need it. Listen, every one of us in here today needs Jesus. Every one of us, lost and saved alike, every one of us needs Jesus so we can let go of that past, so we can restore what has been broken, so we can focus on that mission he has for us. And we need Jesus, not just in general, we need Jesus today. We need Jesus today to turn from our sin into unto eternal life and to turn from our misery unto eternal joy. We need Jesus today. And so I end you with this question. Will you allow Jesus to minister to your heart today? Will you allow Jesus, will you allow Jesus to minister to your heart today? I'm not naive to think that every single person in here comes in with their own unique problems and their own unique circumstances, their own unique hurts and their own unique joys. Will you allow Jesus to minister to it? And will you allow Jesus to give you a second chance by repentance and then opening up your heart and just saying, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus.
Will you do that this morning? Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for uh, this message. I thank you that this message is, is as true for the most devout and righteous Christian as it is for the most lost and lowly sinner. God, I thank you that we need Jesus just as much today as we have ever needed him before and will ever need him in the future. You are fully sufficient. And your son's blood is fully washed over our sins if we are in him. So Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would give us a fresh start. You would open up our hearts that we may drop our pride that we may lay it down so that you can work through us, Father. And we would be honest with you. And we would be honest with our brothers and sisters in Christ, not caring what anybody thinks, but being genuine before our holy God. And we would say, God, I need a fresh start. And I'm asking you to give it to me today. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning from this problem. I'm giving this hurt. I'm giving this struggle to you. I need a fresh start. And I need it from you, God, because you're the only one who is sufficient. You're the only one whose grace can cover. And so, Father, we ask you, we beg you, we plead you in the name of Jesus. Stir our hearts. God, for those in here who do not know you, Lord, stir their hearts. Stir their hearts in in, in total surrender to give their lives over to you. Put all their faith, put all their trust in you. That you may give them eternal life with you. God, I love you. Use this time. How you use this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, I want you to respond. I don't know where you are. 